Good evening. Welcome to our Bible class for this Wednesday night. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. The reading, I will start back at verse 16. The section we're going to attend to tonight is from verse 20 down through verse 23. Have your Bible ready there. Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for Christ, who lived and died for us and was raised from the dead, that we might have hope. May we hold to him who is the head, and may we grow with the increase that is from thee. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Colossians chapter 2, let me start at verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." I think one way to study this section in Colossians chapter 2, actually starting earlier, back even before verse 16 and down to the end of the chapter, is to try to picture the Christians in Colossae as victims of robbers. Not robbers after money or material things, but robbers after souls false teachers seducing Christians to walk away from what they have from God in Christ. And I say dealing with robbers because of the words and the imagery used by Paul in this section. Look back at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. So there's the idea of kidnappers maybe. See to it that no one takes you captive. And then verse 18, let no one disqualify you. It is like they were dealing with spiritual robbers. And Paul's intent is to build them up, equip them to defend their faith, and not accept anything that is not according to Christ. Now, the section we're concerned with tonight, 20 to 23. Start out with verse 20, thinking about conversion. 
at the point of conversion. If your conversion is according to what the apostles of Christ taught, it should be accurate that you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Or it says in the English Standard Version, the elemental spirits of the world. Now, let's just talk about that a minute. Let's get that phrase in front of us and navigate into that phrase. Some of you have the New King James and it says, You died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. In the ESV that I'm using, the elemental spirits of the world. If you have the NIV, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world. Or if you have the New American Standard Bible, if you died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. I think it is not a big mystery. I think it is this simple. Before dying with Christ, before you connected with Christ's death in baptism, before becoming a Christian, it is very typical of people to conduct their daily lives without any spiritual center. They just live according to the elementary principles of the world. Basic, elementary, worldly living. And if you were to go into detail about that, you'd say you get up and you do what you have to do and you eat and you try to form some relationships with people that you enjoy and you take time to have some fun and make some money, but there's no spiritual center. You're living according to the elementary principles of this world. God and His will not seriously considered. And this reminds me of what we studied some time ago. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. Where men and women seek some sort of fulfillment, inner fulfillment, but God is absent in their seeking and they wonder why they're still empty. Sometimes in an effort to find some sort of fulfillment, one will attach himself to virtually everything the world has to offer, but then still be empty. And sometimes in an effort to find some sort of personal fulfillment, one will attach himself to some human religious system. Not this one, but some human religious system. And try to keep those rules and keep up with an image and get something out of that, but they wind up still empty. I think that ordinary kind of seeking and living here in the world without God is exactly what's wrapped up in this phrase in verse 20, the elemental spirits of the world. And about this ordinary worldly seeking and living without God, Paul makes this point. When you were converted, when you died with Christ in baptism, you left that way of life. You no longer live as people ordinarily live in the world who do not have God, just basic desire-driven living. No, you died with Christ. You gave up sin and you gave up that materialistic worldly lifestyle. When one is converted to Christ, previous, 
ordinary, worldly living is over. And why then would you let anyone lead you back into that? See, that's where the robbery factor enters into it. Why would you let someone rob you of what you have to take you back to what you left? That's the point he's making. Why would you listen to false teachers who offer to take you back into a life that has no basis except in human thinking in the world? Paul says you died with Christ. Don't go back to what he got you out of. That's the inquiry of our text. When you are buried with Christ in baptism, as described back up in verse 12, you are forgiven of sin, you are moved out from under the bondage of the old sinful elementary worldly kind of living dominated by what the world has to offer. And if you attach yourself to some human religious system, then you're dominated by men rather than being submissive to God. So Paul says, when you obey the gospel, that old kind of life, that's over. Here is uh, J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of the text. So if, through your faith in Christ, you are dead to the principles of this world's life, why, as if you were still part and parcel of this world-wide system? Now, that brings us to the inquiry, why, that's at the end of verse 20. At the end of verse 20 and into the next two verses, Paul directs a question to the Colossians to get them to think about what they were being seduced to and what they were being robbed from. And it's highlighted by that word, why? If you died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you still live in the world, do you submit to regulation. So if you've been baptized into Christ, buried with him in baptism, and you left that old life that is centered in humans in the world, whether it was pagan or Jewish or Gnostic or Hellenistic or just worldly, why would you let men take you back into bondage to that kind of life or bondage to their religious rules? Why let the robbers take you from Christ into their self-made religion. Here's another paraphrase. The plain English New Testament it's called. Verses 20 to 23. It's a translation that's written on the fourth grade level. Maybe why I like it so much. If you truly died with Christ. Leaving behind the standards of the world. Why are you living as if you were still in the world? You are making strict rules. Don't handle it. Don't taste it. Don't touch that. None of these things will last after they've been used for a while. They are human commands and teachings. These things look like there is wisdom behind them. They have forced worship, false humility, and harsh treatment of the human body. But they don't help you control fleshly desires. The religious climate in Colossae was promoting this philosophy, this systematic human religion that was really worldly and human-centered, not God-centered. And Paul wants them to think about all that. It involved rules, 
manufactured and enforced by men. I think claims were being made something like this. Remember, I've, I've mentioned this before. They would say to the Christians in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, to follow Christ is fine. But if you really want to reach higher and greater and more spiritual, mystic experiences, you need to follow the rules that we've crafted. And Paul says, that's just going to take you back to what Christ got you out of. Just going to take you back to where you were. These rules have no moral value, have no power against the indulgence of the flesh. Let me wrap 18 through 20 into this. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. I'll talk about that later. And worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head. From whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. Grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me pause there before we dig further into this. Questions or comments about what we've studied so far. Let's take a few minutes and talk about these regulations that perish with the using. The false religion being spread in Colossae apparently had packed into it a variety of man-made regulations, rituals and rules God didn't give. Men conceived and then enforced on people, claiming it would take them to a higher level. We are not told in this text specifically what those rules and regulations were, but it had to do with what you handle, taste, and touch. Immediately, what Bible students think about is the various ordinances of the Old Covenant having to do with clean and unclean foods, ceremonial cleanliness, having to do with what you handle, taste, and touch. Now let's assume that that's what's being referred to here are something similar to that that may have been adapted from the Old Covenant into some sort of a pagan style. Now, about those things, those ordinances of the Old Testament about clean and unclean food and all that, about all that, there is a narrative back in the book of Acts that helps us understand the status of those old rules and regulations after the cross. What chapter in the book of Acts am I going to take you to? Ten. Let's go to Acts chapter ten. Do you remember the apostle Peter 
was told to go preach to the Gentiles, non-Jews. In the house of Cornelius, who by the way was a Gentile Roman military officer, Peter says, wait a minute, I'm just paraphrasing. But that's the attitude Peter had about that. Wait a minute now. Peter was raised a Jew, separated from Gentiles, extremely reluctant to visit the house of a Gentile, a Roman military officer. You want me to do what? So God sent a vision to Peter. Is this all coming back to you now? In Acts 10 verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So, Here's what we take from that. Those Old Testament distinctions between clean and unclean, those menu restrictions and so forth, were no longer to be enforced on anyone after Jesus established the church. So men in Colossae are attempting to take Christians captive into their self-made religion that involved these regulations referred to by Paul here in verses 20 and 21. Now verse 22 is critical here in Colossians 2. Still speaking of those self-imposed regulations, Paul said, things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. To abstain from food, these false teachers said you couldn't eat to reach this higher plane, was an entirely physical regulation without spiritual value. I want to say that again. That's critical to the argument Paul is making. To abstain from food, these false teachers said you couldn't eat to get to this higher plane was an entirely physical regulation without spiritual value. They are things that all perish with the using. But where did these regulations come from that Paul is talking about here? He identifies where they came from. Human precepts and teachings. See, when I'm buried with Christ in baptism... I'm not going to submit to human religious regulations. I put myself under the authority of Christ and I'm going to submit to the rules and regulations that are divine in origin, not human in origin. Um, to put this crudely, 
Paul is saying to the Christians in Colossae, don't let these charming men mess with what you have in Christ. By giving you a bunch of menu regulations they come up they came up with. That's the idea. Colossians 2.20 If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. You see what this is about? Comments. Further inquiries. Disagreements. Remarks. Yes, ma'am. Either they were referring to Judaism or they had combined Judaism with some philosophy they had adopted. Uh, In Colossae, there was a philosophy that was very common called Gnosticism. In its very early forms, Gnosticism borrowed from Judaism. So this is very likely a combination of the Gnostic philosophy mixed in with some Judaism. There there is a term called syncretism. And that means in religious discourse, you've taken a little bit of this religion, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you've put it all together. And I think it's likely that's what they were doing. So could have been Judaism combined with whatever their philosophy was that they claimed would take you up to this higher level. Paul says you have all you need in Christ. Uh, I got to get to verse 23. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the key to everything that we're talking about is to let God tell you what his regulations are and not men impose upon you something that God didn't give. Now, 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right. In religion around the world today, some practices that may at first appear to some people to be wise and impressive have no value in keeping you away from sin and close to God. All right, that's a complex sentence, so let me say it again. In religion around the world today, some practices that may at first appear to people to be wise and impressive have no value in keeping you away from sin and close to God. Two examples. In the Philippines, about this time every year, you'll see it reported probably on the media, In the Philippines, about this time every year, men actually hang on a cross. Have you seen those news stories? Inflicting injury and sometimes dying on a cross. 
and you'll see these parades and these men will be carrying crosses and they will go out and erect those crosses and hang on those crosses sometimes for hours and inflict great injury on themselves and sometimes they die there severity to the body common practice in the Philippines another example in some Middle Eastern cultures men will march through the streets on certain religious holidays and they will beat their backs with ropes and chains you ever seen any of that on TV they'll report it on TV these men will be walking and, and their chest is bare they don't have a shirt or anything and they walk along and chant various things and they beat the back with uh, chains and they're bleeding sometimes there are nails attached to the ropes these practices are within the category described by Paul severity to the body apparently there's a concept that perhaps was borrowed from the Gnostics the Gnostic philosophers that if you hurt yourself it'll help you spiritually it'll take you to some higher plane Paul says these practices are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh no value you cannot literally beat sin out of your body. You can't take a chain and beat sin out of your body. You cannot hang on a cross and bleed sin out of your body, out of your life. There's only one way to get sin out of your life and out of your appetites. Jesus Christ your response to him. That's the whole theme of Colossians. You are complete in him. So here's where we are. If I let some religious teacher dictate my menu and lead me off into a cave to take a vow of silence and injure my body, it doesn't mean I will have conquered the impulses of the flesh. And it will not take me closer to God. In fact, it takes me away from Christ just as soon as I start submitting to human precepts and teachings. Self-made religion is not according to Christ. What we need is God-made religion. Asceticism has to do with those religious practices that isolate you from people, but they also can isolate you from Christ. When you engage in severe self-discipline as dictated by men and not God and think that you can bleed sin away or inflict pain on your body and beat it away, you can't. The way to get rid of sin is to come to Jesus Christ, be buried with him in baptism. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Colossians 2 verse 6. All right, I'm finished, except for my takeaways. Questions or comments? Takeaways. 
All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. We studied that back in chapter 2 verse 3. I'm going to tell you now, you will never exhaust this treasure. This is not a treasure that someday you will be finished with and you can move on to the regulations and self-made religions of men to get higher. No, if you move away from the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, you've moved away from Him. Never imagine that you will come to a place in life where you have learned all you can from Christ about living. So now it's time to turn to something else or someone else. No. All we need to know, appreciate, practice, and hope for and teach others is all that is provided in Christ from His example and through the instructions of the apostles. I've already touched on this, but I want to hit it one more time in 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It is this simple, receive Him and walk in Him. Don't need to put a chain to your back. That's not going to get sin out of your life. Don't need to hang on a cross. He did that authentically and was raised from the dead. So, being buried with Christ in baptism to arise to walk in newness of life. Can't get any higher than that. Can't get any fuller than that in your life. So, we're back to being robbed. Don't let anybody rob you. Back in verse 4, Paul said, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Let no one take you captive. Let no one pass judgment on you. Don't let somebody cram down your throat their religious practices that are self-made and that have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Anything else you'd like to add to what we've studied in Colossians 2, 20 through 23? I have something else I'm going to run through in the next four or five minutes that will help us connect what we've studied in Colossians with present day dangers in the religious world and in our society. There is something called intellectualism, placing great stress on what men can learn from other men. I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians this year, as you know. And here's something you cannot miss from those first four chapters of Paul's letter to Corinth. They were charmed by human wisdom, what men had learned from other men. They were seduced and impressed by all that. Here's a good rule to try and follow and that I recommend to others and that Olga has plugged into our study a moment ago. Before you embrace what men teach you, make sure it isn't in conflict with what God has taught you. And the way to do that is just start with what God has taught you. Read it and study it and apply it in your life. 
And then when the counterfeit comes along, the alarm will go off. The alarm will go off. Perhaps if you are well studied and well read in scripture, you will not have to take what men say and go do a bunch of research in scripture about it. The alarm will go off because you've read what God said and you're reading and studying what God says. And so the alarm goes off. Before you embrace anything men teach you, make sure it isn't in conflict with what God says in scripture. In Colossae, I'm afraid there were people who were highly impressed by men they considered to be charming and smart and intellectual. Intellectualism. Sometimes uh, it is called, and this phrase may have been crafted in religion by C.S. Lewis, intellectual religious snobbery. I know what you have in Christ and Scripture, and that's good, but if you listen to me, I'll... No, don't. Just don't. Ritualism. Men coming up with a system of rituals and imposing those on others. What I described that occurs in the Philippines in their religious practice is ritualistic. God didn't say do that. God didn't say you get on a cross. God said you submit to the cross that Jesus died on, his death, burial, and resurrection, comprehended in the cross. Um, Matthew chapter 18, I don't have time to go there, but you learn that the apostles of Christ, through their speaking and writing, were binding what God had bound in heaven and loosing what God had loosed in heaven. That means... What must be done, God is revealed through the apostles. It also means what is permitted, God is revealed through the apostles. You may hear that described as binding and loosing. Well, you will hear preachers and teachers say, don't let anyone bind on you what God hasn't bound. All that ritualism and ceremony that people want you to become involved in, all you need is Christ. Mysticism claims that your contact with spirits and angels makes you extraordinary and elevates you and takes you to places that Christ could never take you. Well, just don't believe that. If you believe what Paul is saying here in Colossians, just, just don't accept that. Someone might say something like, well, I know what the Bible says, but God has spoken to me directly and he told me, stop sign, the word of God is sufficient as our guide and our authority. And then closely related to what I've already said, there's something called legalism, very similar to ritualism, but broader. It could be something someone asks you to believe or agree with. And that's when you say, here's what I agree and believe in. And this is where I stand. In the New Testament, you remember the Pharisees. They came up with all manner of rules and affirmations and rituals and practices that God had not set out in the Old Testament. 
But legalistically, they would impose those things on people. Now, each of these religious or spiritual threats that I've outlined here, each one is answered in Colossians. Each one is answered in Colossians. In Christ, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, do this. That's Colossians 2, 3. I'm going to give you a word you can circle. All. All. So somebody comes along and, and they want to give you something else that Christ didn't give. Stop sign right there. All right. Chapter 3 and 4 of Colossians is going to make all of this that has been um, argumentative in structure, it's going to make it all practical. Very specific practicalities of daily living according to Christ is going to come up in chapter 3 and chapter 4. It's going to be very directly practical to how we ought to be living. So keep reading. Colossians 3 will cover the opening statement there Sunday morning. Thank you.